So uh, a long time ago, in a place far, far away, uh, I was in college, right? And uh, I actually went to college years and years ago. And my decision to go to college in Minnesota meant that I had a long uh, road trip from Colorado up to Minnesota. And my first semester in college, I learned all sorts of things about Minnesota. I learned about frozen lakes. I learned phrases like, yeah, sure, you betcha. Um, and I learned about the Vikings. Where's Nate? Can I get an amen? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Um, it was a, a transformational first semester for me. All these things I was learning about. I, went, uh, I flew home for Christmas, and as I prepared to return to college um, for the second semester, um, I wanted to bring some other things with me up to college, things I was missing. So I, I wanted to bring my skis with me, because the skiing in Minnesota is so much better than Colorado. It's ridiculous. Uh, so I wanted to have my skis with me. And I also wanted to bring some exercise equipment. I, there wasn't a, a great place to work out at the college, and it was just one of the ways I kind of did stuff. So I wanted to bring a curl bar that I had. So it was a curl bar with these two 25-pound plates. And I wanted to bring these up to school with me. So I put the curl bar in the ski bag, and I put the plates, like the size of a dish, you know, pretty thick, into my backpack, I mean, into my suitcase. And I went to the airport to check in the baggage. I gave them the skis. That went through just fine. They put it on that little happy moving walkway behind the counter there, and off it went to the airplane. And then the lady asked me to put the suitcase on the scale. And back then, this is like 30 years ago, if your suitcase was over, I don't know, 50 pounds or 60 pounds, they, they wouldn't check it for you. Like at least where I was going, they wouldn't, I couldn't pay them to take anything else. So I put the suitcase on the scale, and the numbers began to tick up, and it was 98 pounds. <laughs> and the woman behind the desk kind of looked at me like a little sideways and said, I, I can't check that bag. And I said, oh, oh, I know what's going on. So I, I got down, and I unzipped my suitcase, and I pulled out my backpack, and I took out these two 25-pound weights out of my suitcase. And I looked up at her while I was doing this, and she's looking at me like, you're crazy. You know, what are you doing putting weights in a suitcase? So I got them into my backpack, and I put the, back, the suitcase back on there, and now it was underweight and could go, and it went off. But now I had this backpack with 50 pounds of weight workout equipment in it. And I had to walk through the Denver International Airport, take this flight, walk through Minneapolis, and the whole time I'm walking, like, you know, just, just trying to look cool, as cool as I could, you know, with back cramps going on, with, uh, you know, something like 60 pounds on my back. It was ridiculous. Uh, I tell you that story because for me, it's an illustration of how some of us walk through life with emotional baggage, like a backpack filled with emotions that we don't know what to do with. Uh, we have all these kinds of emotions that we go through in life, you know, joy and happiness and, and, and peace, good things. But then we also have these negative emotions like, like fear or loneliness or anger. And, and we carry them around on our backs. And some of those we're able to deal with and process and, and get off of our backs. Others of them just feel like this, this you know, baggage that we're carrying around, weighing us down. And, and it gets in the way of the life that God has called us to live. I believe emotions were created by God and given to us as gifts that they allow us to live with, with passion, with purpose, with focus. They allow us to live deeply with people around us and with our God. But they can also hound us and become heavy on our lives. Dallas Willard was a professor and author, um, and he wrote a lot about how we grow in our faith, how we experience new life in Christ. And in one of his books, he wrote a book called Revolution of Character. And in it, he wrote about emotions and feelings. And here's what he wrote. Healthy feelings, properly ordered, are essential to a good life. If we are to be formed in Christ's likeness, we must take good care of our feelings and not just let them happen. 
He says, in order to live a life that reflects God to our world, we need to order our emotions, allow them to move us and, and change us in healthy ways, and not just let them happen like in a way that we can't control. Jesus told this, a story about a man who was walking along a road, and as he walked, he was attacked and left for dead alongside the pathway. And then two, uh, th- a few other people came by. The first two that came by, they were disgusted by what they saw. This man beaten and bloodied near death, and they moved away from him and walked around him on the pathway. But then a third man came along, and he saw the man. And in Luke chapter 10, it says, when that third man saw the wounded man, he felt compassion. It says, he had a feeling, he had an emotion of compassion, and it drew him toward the man. And he knelt down and he took care of his wounds and he got him to a safe place. So the first two, they felt disgust and it moved them away. The third man felt compassion and it moved him toward the injured man. Now, which emotion was the right one to have? Which person was in the right? Which was in the wrong? Now, how you answer that question is going to tell you a lot about what you think about emotions and what they are in our lives. We've been, we're going to be looking at the life of Moses for the next several weeks, and one of the things that Moses struggled with was his ability to express anger, this emotion of anger in his life. And I want to look at some of the stories in his story where, where anger rose up in him and, and see what we can learn about anger from Moses' example. So if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to open up to Exodus chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first time uh, in Moses' life that's recorded in Scripture where he had anger, where he had this emotion that, that drove him to do something. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, you can open up your Bible app and find it on there if you'd like, or, or if you've got a Bible with you, open up. And um, we're going to just read this. We're going to have you follow along as I read this. Um, verse 11. Now, the ver- first half of Exodus chapter 2, we're introduced to Moses' family. He's born. He's saved miraculously out of the, the Nile River. Um, and he's a Jewish man. He was born into a Hebrew family, but he actually grew up in the royal house of Pharaoh. He grew up in a royal environment, a a place of privilege where he got to see things in a different way. At some point in his growing up years, he came to know the truth that he was actually Jewish. He came to understand that he was a Hebrew man, that his people were slaves in the land of Egypt, that his family was enslaved by Pharaoh. And so he found that out. So in verse 11 of chapter 2, we read these words. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, And he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. That's two times that the writers say this is his own people. You see he's identifying with his people who are slaves in the land. Verse 12, glancing this way and that and seeing no one, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Dun, dun, dun. You know, like he's been found out. Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. Moses was hurt and he was mad about what was happening to his extended family, to his people. 
He's not content to watch them suffer under the hand of Pharaoh in slavery. He wasn't content to leave them as they were. The emotion, this, this anger that built up inside of him, a passion that came because he saw something in the world that he wasn't satisfied with. He was not content to see his family continue to suffer. A lot of times, um, this kind of passion rises up in us when we see things in the world that we don't think is right. And it's actually an interesting way to think about what God's calling on your life is all about, what God wants to do in you and through you in this world. You could ask yourself, what do I get angry about? What is it I get passionate about? What is it I see that I'm not content with and I want to see go in a different way? That's one way to kind of examine what might God use me to do in this world. And Moses sees what's happening and he gets angry and he acts out. Now, he knows he's not doing it the right way, right? Right, right away, it, tell, it tells us he's looking this way and that to make sure no one's watching. He's no, he knows this is not the right way to use his passion and his anger, what he sees happening. He kills this man. He hides the body. He knows it's not the right thing to do, but he gets found out. And the New Testament tells us that Moses hoped, thought, maybe was planning that maybe this little act of rebellion would actually start to bring freedom for the people of uh, the Jewish people as they were enslaved there. Acts 7 tells us this story. Stephen's talking. He says, Moses saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. That's what Moses thought might happen. Like this little act of rebellion might be the, the spark that would get something new to happen, that the people would rise up and that they would have freedom you know, decades before Moses would actually be used to bring the people out of slavery, he was already thinking that way. He was already stirred up. God had placed this kind of emotion in him to bring freedom for the people. Moses hoped that they would realize that, and the end of that text says, but they did not. They did not realize it, because Moses was not doing it in the way that God wanted him to do it. He was doing it in a way that didn't honor God. Moses had an anger problem. It, it blurred his understanding of reality. It clouded his, his understanding of what God was calling him to. It got in the way of the mission that God had for him. He thought he was part of this new, new divine plan. You know, like, I'm going to power up. I'm going to avenge this man. I'm going to kill somebody, and the people will see it, and they'll join me in this rebellion. And God said, that's not the plan. And Moses had to wait a long time. His emotions were directing him instead of him directing his emotions. Instead of having them in order, like Dallas Willard writes about, Moses was chaotic and angry and just acted out without thinking. Emotions are a gift from God to help us experience the full life he created us for, but we have to order them. I want to encourage you this morning. You, you must order your emotions so that they move you to connect instead of cut off. You must order your emotions so they might move you to connect with others, with God, with what he's calling you to in this world, instead of allowing them to cut you off from relationship with others or cut you off in relationship with God. Feelings like anger and sadness and disgust and, and fear, they're, they're hard for us to process and understand. They're hard for us to order in a way that honors God, but we can do that with the grace of God. We don't like those emotions. We tend to move away from them. And when we push away from them, we push away from others. We push away from God. We, we sometimes act out by hurting others or using them. Sometimes it happens internally and we hurt ourselves. We, we get into addictive behaviors because we don't know what to do with these emotions. Our negative emotions can often disconnect us from others and from ourselves and from our God instead of pulling us into deeper relationship the way that God designed us to be, to be moved and that's why in the book of wisdom it says, the words of the reckless 
pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Wisdom brings healing because it's ordered. It's brought together in a way that honors God. You must order your emotions to move you to connect, not cut off, to connect you to God, to connect you to others instead of cutting off. Now, in Exodus 2, we get this first look at Moses' encounter with anger. He doesn't do it the right way. It moves him to, to push away from God's plan for his life at that time. And we see this happening um, a, a few other times in his life. One I want to go to, Moses eventually comes back to the people and God uses him to bring them into freedom and he's leading them through the wilderness. And we know it was 40 years that they kind of wandered through the wilderness trying to get right with God, understand this new way of life he was calling them to. And during that time, Moses was responsible for them. And so they would come to Moses with the, the needs that they have, like we need food, we need water, we need shelter. And they would come to Moses with these requests. And often they came with a critical spirit. They would criticize him. They would threaten him. It wasn't easy leading the people. And Moses would get frustrated. He would get angry. And right towards the end of this wandering, they're just a year or two from entering into that promised land, the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now their descendants. They're really close to getting into the promised land, and the people need water again. So they come to Moses. If you open up to Numbers 20, Numbers chapter 20, this is where we can see this story playing out. They come to Moses, and, and God gives Moses instructions. In verse 8 of Numbers 20, God says, Take the staff. And you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels. It's a little bit of, rebels, you, you rebels, listen to me. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. And water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. So God says, Moses, I want you to speak to the rock. And what did Moses do? He smacks it a couple times with this staff, with God's staff, this image of authority and power in his world. Verse 12, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I will give them. Moses says, listen to me, you rebels. Haven't you ever wanted to say that to your kids or to your family or your neighbors or whatever? You, you stiffen up, you disobedient, bitter, rebellious problem makers. Listen to me. Ang Moses is just angry and it, it comes out of him in this anger and he hits the rock. And there's a verse later in Psalm that kind of describes how Moses would do this from time to time. Psalm 106, it says, By the waters of Meribah they angered the Lord, and trouble came to Moses because of them, for they rebelled against the Spirit of God. There's that rebelled word again. And rash words came from Moses' lips. It's interesting, the word rash that describes what Moses said is also the same Hebrew word for rebelled. This rebellion, this rashness, this was, Moses was saying, you rebels, and at the same time, he was rebelling as well. He was being rash in what he was doing. Because his anger moved him, he, he stepped away from what God had called him to do. He was cut off from God's way, and he was cut off from the people. He saw them as different and other, not like him. He was the righteous one, right? He was the one doing the right thing. And his anger came out and separated him from his people. And, and God said, you're not going to come into the promised land. You're supposed to lead these people. You're supposed to show them that I am holy and instead, you've acted out in a way that disconnects me from you and from the people, and you will not enter the promised land. It's a serious side effect of his anger. Do your emotions drive you to connect or to cut you off? Moses 
In these first two stories, his anger cut him off from God and from his people. But there are other times in Moses' life when his anger actually connected him to the people, connected him to God. Anger is not wrong. It is not evil. It's how we respond to our anger that really sets us apart. Do we allow it to connect us or to cut us off? So the first place we see Moses using this in a good way, letting his anger drive him in a good way, is when he goes to Pharaoh and says, I need you to let, my people, let the people of God go. He says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, right? We know the story. Many of us do. And, and Moses says, if you do not respond to what God is saying, there's terrible things that are going to happen. Ten different plagues or hardships are going to come on the people. And he gets to the last one. He's gone through nine of these terrible plagues. He comes to Moses with the last one. And he says, the firstborn son of all the Egyptian families are gonna, is going to die if you will not let the people go. And Pharaoh's heart is hard. And he says, there's no way it's going to happen. And as Moses walks away, we read in Exodus 11, it says, then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Moses, just hot with anger, he, he leaves Pharaoh's presence. Why was he so angry? He was angry because he could see all of the pain and the loss that was going to come. Because Pharaoh was not willing to surrender to God, not willing to let the people go and give them their freedom. All this death and pain was coming, and it angered Moses because he cared about the people. The Egyptian people. Remember, he had spent 40 years among them, growing up with them. He cared about them, and he was so angry that the stiff-neckedness of Pharaoh, that he was going to cause all of this pain and sadness... Moses connected to the people. He connected to this compassionate God that was leading him. And, and he was angry because Pharaoh would not respond. That language, hot with anger, is also found in, in a second place in Moses' story. And it's when he's up on the mountaintop getting the Ten Commandments. We looked at the video last week where he was up and received these, these ten ways of life that God gave to him. The first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. The second one was, don't make any idols in my image or in a fake image. And Moses comes down from the mountaintop with these ten commandments. And what are the people doing? They're breaking the first two, right? Aaron uh, has got them together, gotten their gold, and he's put together a, a golden calf. He's, he created this, this cow statue that he's put up in the middle of the, the village there, and they're worshiping this fake God. And Moses comes down, and he sees what's happening. Exodus 32 tells us what happens. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Moses burning with anger, hot with anger, and he, he destroys those tablets because he sees the people disconnecting from their God. Now, for us as Christians, that kind of anger seems problematic for us. Like, aren't we as Christians supposed to be filled with hope and joy? Where This anger seems foreign to us. It doesn't seem like a thing that can honor God. But Moses' story pushes us to engage in this dialogue in a deeper way, to try to understand how emotions are gifts from God and how he uses them to move our lives forward. Moses burns with anger here. And, and, and what's interesting is that language is used to describe God as well in other places. Moses, as he writes about what he experiences with, with God, he writes how God burned with anger at times as well. We see that happening when God is calling Moses out to lead the people and Moses keeps making excuses why he can't do it. Over and over again, God says, I want to use you, I'm calling you. And, and Moses keeps saying, I'm, I'm not, I can't do it. No, 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 thanks God, I can't do it. And finally, in Exodus 4, then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. God's anger burned against him. He wanted something for 
his son, this child, Moses, to honor him and draw people close to him, and Moses was not responding. If we go back to that golden calf story with with Aaron and the people worshiping a fake God where Moses broke those tablets down, God was angry before Moses was angry. Exodus 32, God says, Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. He says, Moses, I'm going to start over with you. The anger of God was burning against these people. Now, there's times when we read these Old Testament stories, and it's hard to understand. How is this God, who we believe is loving and kind and slow to anger, how is it that Moses describes him with these words that he was burning with anger against his people? When I'm not sure about how I can understand a God in the Old Testament, I go to the New Testament and look at Jesus, because Jesus reveals to us God in a perfect way. And I say, how did Jesus deal with emotions like this? What do I see Jesus doing? Was Jesus ever angry? angry? When, when's the time when Jesus was angry? In the temple, right? He went in and he saw this place that was a place for people to connect with their God, to worship their God. And instead they had turned it into this little marketplace where they could abuse people and, and take money from them and charge them rates that weren't fair so they could get in to get access to God. And, and Jesus comes into this temple and he flips over the tables and he drives them out of there because they were interfering with the worship, the connection that people were to have with their God. And when John tells the story in John chapter 2, it's very interesting. The disciples see Jesus driving people out and their minds go back to the Psalms. And they think of Psalm 69, which says, My great love for your house will consume me. My great love for your presence and your place in the world, it will consume me. And they said, Jesus is consumed by the love of this place. It was love that drove Jesus to act out in the way he did, to drive the people out because the anger that he had came because people were disconnecting from their God. Others were standing in the way. And his love for the people, his love for his God, for the Father, caused him to act in a righteous way, in a way that used that anger to bring clarity and order to that place. God's anger is fueled by this love for his people and his glory. I think it's important that we hold on to that when we think about the emotion of anger. So God burned with anger before Moses burned with anger. Moses was connected to God in this way, sharing that emotion and being motivated to see the people become a different kind of people on the planet. God wanted to call them out that they might worship and live in a different way. And instead, they were choosing to be just like every other nation on the planet at that time. And because of that, this anger rose up And God and Moses called them to a different way. Now, God is perfect and good and true. So if he can experience anger, then it's an opportunity for us to experience anger in a way that connects us and brings hope and brings life. We've looked at a lot of scripture this morning. I want to give you one more. And this is from Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writing to his friends in Ephesus about anger. And here's what he says. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. It must be possible to be angry and to not sin. And we could all tell our stories of times when we've been angry and it's not been helpful, And we could probably tell stories of times when we've been angry and it's actually been a good thing that's helped us to deal with something 
that breaks God's heart in this world. I've been angry. You guys have been angry. I remember when I was in ninth grade and I found out our family was moving from New Jersey to Colorado and I was going to have to start my sophomore year at a new high school and start over again with friendships and all that and I was angry about it. I was not happy. And the night before my dad put our house on the market in New Jersey, I punched a hole through my bedroom wall. Like, try to sell the house now, Dad. You know? (laughs) I'm going to leave my mark. Not a great way to express my anger, right? Not a great way to do, but I had that anger. I didn't know what to do with it. More recently, about six years ago, my family was going through this terrible time. Our family was being torn apart, and I had anger rising up in me in a way that I had never experienced before, a kind of an intensity of anger that I had no coping mechanisms for. I tried all those ways, you know, talking to a friend, writing in my journal, typing out an email I would never send, all these things we do to try to process that anger, and it wasn't enough. And on a, a particularly bad day, kind of at the height of the destruction of my family, I found myself on the porch destroying a wooden bench that we had on our porch there, just taking it apart with my bare hands. I was sharing the story with a staff member, and they said, you know what, we all have that kind of Hulk smash moment in our lives, you know, when our anger kind of overwhelms us. And I'd like to blame Ikea for making cheap furniture, but I was going to take that thing apart. I was so angry about what was happening in my family. And I believe God used that anger in me in a good way. He, wasn't, he wants our families to be healthy, to be connected, to be loving. And the experience we were having in our family at that time was not that. And God wanted me to have this experience of, of anger to help me know that it wasn't okay. What was happening was not okay. And that he could use my story and use what we were going through to help us connect with him in a deeper way and connect with each other in a deeper way. It can be difficult to find positive, helpful ways to express our negative emotions. It's not easy. We know this. We often feel out of control, like our emotions are taking us over. Instead of us ordering our emotions, we feel like they're leading us. And that's where we need God to step in and help us. Robert Polchik was a psychologist and professor who created a a wheel of emotions. And we've got a picture of this I want to put up on the screen. And uh, we actually have cards as you leave on the tables here by the sanctuary doors of this image of the wheel of emotion. And in it, he identifies kind of six core emotions, fear, anger, surprise, sadness, disgust, and happiness. And he's got these as core emotions. And outside of them are other emotions we feel that are kind of like smaller expressions of those core emotions. Sometimes it's helpful to, we don't know how to label the emotions we have. And something like this can be helpful because we can see the different names and say, okay, this is what I'm feeling. I wasn't sure how to name it, but this is what I'm feeling. And these larger categories have these smaller emotions under them. And if you look at anger there, Oh, let's put that back up again, sorry. If you look at anger there, you can see hurt and threaten, being threatened and distance. If you look at the blue sad area, you see guilt and despair and loneliness. Um, you must order your emotions to move you to connect and not cut off. What if you started earlier on when you're having these smaller emotions that are going to build to those core emotions? What if you worked when they were smaller, like the next time you're starting to feel distant from someone? What what if you found a way to make a connection with them? Instead of pushing away further, you paused and took a deep breath and and reached out for connection. Maybe that small anger, that small um, distance that you're feeling could actually get resolved and move you to connection. What if the next time you're feeling lonely, you moved in a different way? Instead of cocooning up and pushing away from others in your loneliness, what if you reached out to a trusted family member or a friend and that, that small sadness that's brewing, you could dispel it, you could work it through it so it would bring a connection with someone else? How about the next time you're feeling anxious about life or your relationship with God and you 
if you took some steps to connect with him in prayer or in worship so that that little small fear that's going to grow into uh, anxiousness, that's going to grow into fear, you could work through that with God earlier on and bring connection with him and trust with him. Emotions are gifts from God. They give us purpose and passion and praise. I want to call you to embrace those emotions and to allow them to draw you into connection with others and connection with your God. And if it's difficult for you, if you're struggling with how to do that well, well, let's find an emotional mentor, right? Let's find someone like a spiritual director or a friend or a counselor that can help you talk through that and process that and be able to use those emotions to bring connection with others. Let's memorize scripture. Let's invite God's word to to kind of change our minds and our hearts. And as we allow scripture to remind us of the good things that God is calling out of us, that we can allow those emotions, which aren't good or bad, just they're there. We can allow them to draw us to the way of God. Let's submit ourselves to the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. And we can take that 50-pound backpack and lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm feeling this. Why am I feeling this? How do you want to use this feeling to connect me to others? to connect me to you, Father God. And if we do that well, if we ask him to guide us, he will, he will lead us. The power that raised Jesus from the dead will lead us and transform us, that we might allow our emotions to draw us into connection with others. Moses sometimes did it well, sometimes didn't do it well. He's real. He's a real human. He, we can relate to that. So let's ask God to continue to transform us, that we might allow our emotions to draw us closer to him. Will you pray with me? Let's ask him to do that for us today. Father God, we thank you for the gift of emotions, that they allow us to engage in this world in deep ways, in meaningful ways, that they can connect us to you and, and connect us to others. As we go through hard times, Lord, we're able to connect with people who have gone through hard times. As we suffer, we know that we can sit with those who are suffering and, and be an encouragement to them. Lord, these things that we go through, these emotions that we feel, you use them for your glory, for your goodness, and, and to help us connect with others. Father, I just pray for anyone in this room right now who has an emotion that they feel is, is disordered in their life maybe like anger, maybe, maybe fear, maybe loneliness, Lord, whatever that emotion is, I pray that you would speak to them right now, that you would give them a way through, that you would show them a, a way to order it so that it might help them connect with you, it might help them connect with others. Father, we're so thankful that, that you understand the emotions we go through. Jesus, you experienced those emotions and you did it in a right way in a way that connected you to others and to God. And we want to follow you. We want to be like you, Jesus. So teach us, transform us, help us to see a new way. And might you receive the glory for it. Because the power to change, Father God, it comes through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen.